appreciate the prayers and your presence here tonight. I, I share uh, Sister Gigi's uh, feelings about coming to the house of the Lord and being with the people of God and uh, receive so much encouragement and strength from each of you. Tonight we'd like to open our Bibles back to the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at chapter 7 tonight. And I'm going to title our study tonight, Three Great Things. Three Great Things that are found in this chapter. Tonight we're going to see a great multitude. We're going to see great tribulation. And we're going to see a great shepherd. Last time we were together, we closed chapter 6 with a notable question. The question is, for the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? Chapter 7 is an interlude, a pause, a parenthetical clause, a parenthesis, whatever term that you would uh, deem proper. But it is uh, an intervention between the opening of the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh. Chapter 8, verse 1 is the opening of the seventh seal, the last seal in the scroll of the book that only the Lamb was worthy to unloose. And chapter 6 was notably a time of great wrath poured out upon the unbelieving world. And the sequence of those events parallels to the teachings of Christ in the Olivet Discourse, as we talked about in Matthew chapter 24. And, and we can imagine, John must have been shocked. He must have been in a state of, of suspense at the opening of the last seal because the intensity of the judgments keeps growing as time goes by in this eschatological timetable. So God pauses and gives him a little encouragement uh, that's going to sustain him in the revealing of the last of the last days, the last of the last judgments. So here's a pause between the sixth and the seventh seal revealing mercy in the midst of judgment and answering the question, who is going to be able to stand? Because right off, I want to understand that there are two groups of individuals in this chapter. There are uh, uh, Jews that have been redeemed, have been born again, have been converted to the truth of Christ. And there are Gentiles, a, a great multitude that no man can number. The Jews are going to be numbered. They're going to be numbered as 144,000, but the Gentile group is going to be a, 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 an incalculable amount of individuals. The first group in the Jews, they're, they're going to be sealed. We're going to talk about that tonight. The, they're going to be sealed or protected in the midst of the tribulation that they're passing through. And... The Gentiles are not 
sealed in the same manner, and many of them are passing through the tribulation with a great deal of suffering. The first group of the Jews are describing a, the witness that they have in the earth. The second group of Gentiles are described as worshipers in heaven. The first group, the Jews, are going to be proclaimers of the kingdom of Christ. And the second group are seen as possessing that kingdom. So from the outset, we see that there's a, a little difference between what we're reading in chapter 7 and what we read in chapter 6 and 8. I want to make that noted so that we'll understand this is given to answer that question. Who is going to be able to stand in the day of God's wrath? So he says in chapter 7 verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now we recognize tonight that uh, all the way through the book of Revelation, there is activity of angels. Angels are real. Angels are created by God to minister to God's people, to exercise or execute God's will in the earth as well as in heaven. And here are four great angels. They're, they're angelic beings created by God, I believe, that are referred to in chapter 14 and, and, and uh, later chapters. And these four angels are standing on the four corners of the earth. Now somebody says, well, that shows why for many centuries people believed that the earth was flat and it was kind of like a square because it describes in God's word four corners. But we know that uh, the word that is used here is zonia in the uh, Greek language from which we get zone quadrant, uh, like the quadrant of a compass, a compass being round, north, south, east, west, right? You can imagine this, and, and these angelic beings are positioning themselves in these quadrants, and they're controlling the wind. Now, you might be sitting there tonight saying, well, that's not really a big deal, because, you know, I, I kind of complain when it gets a little windy, but let me tell you something about the wind. We couldn't survive. We couldn't live long without the wind. The wind, in the course of nature, is, is uh, controlled, uh, they tell us, by the movement of the sun, the heat of the sun, as, and the moon, and uh, uh, different aspects of our atmosphere. Uh, that, that all coincide to produce, and the rotation of the earth, to produce wind. And the wind is what purifies the air. So it's, and by the way, and without wind, there wouldn't be any rain. And later in the book of Revelation, God makes that pointedly clear. He's not going to allow rain to come upon the earth for three and a half years, as in the days of Elijah. So, so all of this is kind of working together in our own minds as we study through this. We're seeing that God is preparing the earth for a period of great wrath and great judgment and great tribulation. And the wind is not going to be allowed to blow. 
on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So there's not going to be any, um, any rain. And this, uh, of course, requires a great deal of power. Now, I want you to write in your notes Psalm 103, verse 20, because what he's talking about there is the power that God exercises through his angelic host to bring about his will in the, uh, in the earth. In verse 2, he says, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Here we see uh, uh, that God has provided a seal, a mark of some kind. We, we're not told what the mark is, but the word there is stigmata. It is an identifying mark. It is a mark that is placed upon the remnant, placed upon the people of God. And we'll learn later it's placed in their forehead. Uh, this, this is so graphic. It reminds us of something that we read back over in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. If you want to turn there very quickly, I just want to make this note because this is not an unusual, uh, this is not an unusual thing in the economy of God, how that he sets... He sets out to mark his people because um, in Ezekiel, did I say, what, what did I say? I, I'm, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Go back over to Ezekiel chapter 9. In Ezekiel chapter 9, Ezekiel, remember, is in exile and God is telling him about the great judgments that he's brought against the land of Judah. But notice what he says. Uh, for time's sake, let's go down to verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city and through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark set a mark, a seal, upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Now, these are going to be individuals separated from those that are under judgment. These are the ones that are spared the judgment that God is going to bring against the city. And then he says this in verse 5, And to the others he said, In mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city, and smite. Let not thine eye spare, neither have ye pity. So what God was doing in that imagery in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 9, he's repeating in our text and study tonight in Revelation chapter 7. He's identifying, he's marking, he's sealing these individuals in the midst of his judgment. That God's wrath and God's judgment is not going to fall upon his elect. It's not going to fall upon his children because they're sealed. Now watch. He's saying, hurt not, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till ye have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And in chapter 14, verse 1, in the book of Revelation, he says that the name there is the name of the Father. 
So here's the name of God that's somehow imprinted in the forehead are identifying those that belong to the Lord and have been redeemed. And I heard the number of them that were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Here's the remnant of the redeemed Jews that I believe Zechariah, that's why I said Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, is where God said through his prophet Zechariah that there would be a day when Jews would mourn over the Messiah, over the one that they had pierced. They would mourn, they would repent. And they would return and follow after the Messiah. Well, here in Revelation chapter uh, 7, we see that being lived out. We see that being exercised. And, and the, number 12, uh, uh, the number 12 is very symbolic in the book of Revelation because you, you have 12 apostles. You have... Uh, you have 12 uh, tribes of Israel. You have 12 thrones. You have 12 stones. Uh, you, you, the, the number 12 is an ecclesiastical number, a number of assembly. These are individuals that are assembled by the sovereign grace of God for a very important purpose in the last days. These are all Jews. This is not a picture of the church. Here, This is not a, a picture of the Jew and Gentile church, but it is specifically going to tell us that every one of these 144,000 witnesses are Jews. He says it 12 times because he uses 12 tribes. Listen to this carefully. These are the redeemed of the tribe of Judah sealed 12,000. Now somebody says, wait a minute. Brother Jeff, Judah wasn't the oldest son of Jacob. No, he wasn't. Reuben was. But Judah had, has displaced Reuben and Simeon and Levi. Because of their uh, failures, God raised up Judah that Judah would be the kingly tribe. So here Judah is in the forefront. And remember, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah, that's exactly right. So here he's giving preeminence to Judah because of Jesus Christ. Of the tribe of Judah were 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Nephthalim, 12,000. And then he says, of the tribe of Manassas. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. See, Manassas has taken the place of Dan. Dan isn't listed here. And if we had the time to go back to the book of Judges chapter 18 and 1 Kings chapter 12, we would understand why. Because Dan was responsible for leading the whole nation of Israel, the whole ten northern tribes of Israel into idolatry, severe idolatry. That's where they began to burn their children, to offer their children to Moloch. It was the tribe of Dan. And God said, because of this, I'm going to blot your name out from among the tribes. Because they were no longer identified with Jehovah. You see? And we come to Revelation and we realize the consequence of that kind of idolatry. Dan was replaced by Manassas. And... Uh, and God 
warned them of that in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 18 through 21. Verse 7, And of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000, and of the tribe of Levi, 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, Joseph were sealed 12,000. There's a name missing here that I want you to underscore. Ephraim. Ephraim is missing here, and it was replaced with Joseph. Because Joseph was the one that maintained the covenant relationship with Jehovah that Ephraim failed to do. And Ephraim, actually, Ephraim was notably the largest of the ten northern tribes for many years. In fact, the land of Israel was called the land of Ephraim for many, many years even centuries. But Ephraim slid into the Syrian religions of uh, paganism to the extent that they lost their total identity. They, they refused to be called by the name of Jehovah. Can you imagine? But they did. They refused to be called by the name of Jehovah. And God said, if you feel that way about it, I'll refuse you. There's an ultimate consequence to idolatry. And, and, and he's replaced by Joseph. And, uh, and of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Now, this, in this, this first grouping of these Jews, 144,000 Jews that are sealed, protected, that are raised up as great witnesses in the earth and proclaiming the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this, in this group, you, you see God being active in the reclaiming of the Jewish people. Now, I, I want you to follow this real closely because, see, there's some people that believe that God has no longer any purpose or use for the Jew or Israel. It's called replacement theology where the church actually and literally replaced everything that God was doing to Israel the church now is fulfilling. And, and there's some truth in that. Do you understand? The truth is that the church is superseded Israel of the old covenant. But don't sit there tonight and think that God's through with Israel. Paul answers that so many ways in Romans 9 and Romans 11. He, he says, hath God cast away his people Israel? Uh, in the words of the Apostle Paul, ha has he ultimately cast away the nation of Israel? Paul said, God forbid. God forbid. He hath not cast them off. He's got, he's, he has a purpose for them in the end of time. And I personally believe that, that it's uh, the result of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And, and, and we see in our generation, Israel, since uh, May 15th of 1948, Israel became a nation again, uh, the only nation in the history of the world that endured 2,000 and something years of bondage and came back from that captivity speaking their mother language, Hebrew. They're the only nation that's ever done that. And what's intriguing about that is, is God revealed his word to the Jews through the Hebrew language. 
So here are Hebrew descendants, if you will. And they're going out and they're telling everybody uh, that Jesus Christ is the king and his kingdom is everlasting and his kingdom is real and his kingdom uh, will never end. They're, they're going out like the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls? Just think what that would do. I mean, we can see what one did. Just think about 144,000. And in the last days, we're going to get to see some of this. Now, I, I don't believe that this is talking about 11,999 plus one. I, I believe it's symbolic. But what he's talking about here is that there are going to be a, a, a remnant of each tribe identified in the last days. And, uh, and only God can do that. Only God can do that. And he said in verse 9, he, he's going to introduce us to this other group. He says, and uh, this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. Here's, here's uh, our, 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 one of our greats. Uh, a great multitude which no man can number. You know, people all the time tell me uh, the reason I don't believe in election and predestination is I, 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 I just can't believe that God would only save a, a handful of people out of a, the whole human race. Well, I always respond, well, it depends on what my mood is when they say something like that. But uh, I try to say it depends on whose hand you're talking about. The hand of God can hold a multitude that no man can number. See, I believe that there's going to be many in heaven. It, it, election and predestination does not mean that we think that uh, only primitive Baptists are going to be there. You know, kind of like that man that said uh, he belonged to a denomination that believed that they were the only denomination going to be in heaven. And uh, when, when that fellow got to heaven... Sure enough, he went and he found that denomination there. And he said, and he says, just be real quiet because the Baptists are worshiping down the street. <laughs> uh, I just threw that in. I've been around Brother Kevin too long, I guess. I beheld and lo, a great multitude. I want to talk about these people, which no man can number of all nations. Now, do you remember last time we were together, we went back over to uh, Matthew chapter 24, and he said that the end would not come until the gospel had been preached to the nations. And brethren, I believe we're living in that dynamic period of time where we're seeing the possibility of that very thing happening, if not in person, over the computer and the airways. Multitudes of nations are being reached with the message of Jesus Christ today, some for the very first time. And to me, it's just an indication we're getting closer to the coming day of Jesus Christ. He says, which no man can number of all nations and kindreds. Aren't you glad it's in there? And all people and tongues. And, and circle this little word. Stood. Who's going to stand? They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms, in their hands. 
I rejoice in verses like this because it gives me the imagery of the victory that we experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the individuals that are going to be standing in the day of God's final judgment. Those who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Those who have made their garments white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Those individuals who have, in the words of the Apostle Paul, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His own mercy hath He saved us and washed us. He's, he's washed us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. See, this is the work of God's sovereign grace in the life of an individual. He's the one that brings us to repentance over sin. He's the one that gives us faith to believe in Jesus Christ and to trust Him for righteousness. That's what you're reading about here. This great multitude have been brought by God's sovereign grace into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the elect of God, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 33, where the Apostle Paul said, Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of the uh, terminology of election. The Bible is filled with it. It's, it's in many, many places in the Word of God. And here is the picture of elect individuals who are clothed in this white, these white robes which uh, are talking about the, the cleansing power of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And they have palms of victory in their hand. Palms are the palm tree leaves were often used in celebrations and, and feasting, but especially at the Feast of Tabernacles, according to Leviticus chapter 23 and Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 17. They were a part of the ceremony because they represent a victorious life. They represent a victory. The children of Israel, as they journeyed through the wilderness Forty years, just, just understand this, 40 years they were in the wilderness. They didn't have a Walmart. They, they didn't have a, a ATM machines. They didn't have all of those conveniences, conveniences that we have today. What did they have in that wilderness experience? And if you've ever seen, um, if you've ever been to that part of the world or seen pictures of that part of the world, you talk about barren. It's one rock after another. Is that right, Sister Donna? It's rocky. I mean, it's just solid rock. There's nothing growing out there except close to the river. But it's barren. And I think about the children of Israel, two millions of people out wandering in that hot wilderness. What did they have? They had the God of heaven providing them with bread every day. And water out of the rock. God protecting them from the scorpion and the snake. The soles of their feet. You know, just think about this. 
the shoes that they were wearing never wore out. I've never had a, a boot that didn't wear out. In fact, I probably have a hole or two in these. But just think, 40 years, God provided for them in such a, a magnificent and miraculous way. They would remember that provision by God toward them with the palm branch. And it's intriguing to me in John chapter 12 when Jesus is entering into the city of Jerusalem that they would cast branches in His path. They were palm branches because it was, after all, the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have a lot of palm branches. And, and this would represent the victory that Jesus Christ alone would bring to his elect. And these individuals with the palms of victory in their hand, they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. The, 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 the theme of salvation was central to their worship. See, they were worshiping God because God is the one that brought salvation. Their worship, it, it's not me and God. It's not me meeting God halfway. It's not me deciding to let God save me. It is worshiping God who saves. And He saves who? Everyone of His elect. Everyone that was chosen in Christ before time began, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should stand holy and without blame before him in love. Isn't that a great verse? Who's going to stand? It's going to be the elect. Why are they the elect? Because of God's sovereign grace. In God's sovereign grace, he redeemed every one of them by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, what are they going to do? They're not singing the song, I did it my way. They're not, they're not Burger King Christians, you can have it your way. No, sir. They're singing salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord totally and completely and forever. And unto the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. And all the angels stood. There's that word you need to circle again. Who's going to stand? The angels of God stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts or living creatures and fell before the throne on their faces. And who did they worship? Who, who is the object of their worship? God. God. They're not worshiping idols. They're not worshiping men. They're not worshiping denominational uh, identity. They're not worshiping the things of earth. They're worshiping the God of heaven. Our God is in the heavens, David said in Psalm 115, verse 3, and hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The object of our worship tonight is God, because God is the one that saved us. And they're saying, Amen. We've, we've got Bible. You know, I love to be in. In, 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 in church uh, uh, environments where the people are willing to say amen when they agree with something. Because, because that's exactly what they were doing. They were amening the truth 
that salvation is of God. Amen. And then there's seven, a sevenfold uh, ascription to the attributes of God. Listen to this. Blessing, one. Glory, two. Wisdom, three. Thanksgiving, four. Honor, five. Power, six. And might, seven. Be unto our God. How long? How long? Forever and ever. You know why they could say that? Because God is not changeable. God is immutable, right? The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of today. The God of today is the God of tomorrow. He doesn't change. So it's something that belongs to Him forever and ever. And I believe, brothers and sisters, you know, I, I feel uh, sorry for, for Christians that, that have come to understand or believe that you can lose your salvation. Do you realize what it would take for us to lose our salvation? Do you realize that God would have to change? God would have to change His mind. God would have to change His power. God would have to change His blessing. God would have to change His honor. God would have to change everything in order for one error of promise to ever go to hell. And brothers and sisters, God can't change. And because God can't change, His salvation can't change. Is that good news? That's good news. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, now, now speaking to John, John, what are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And John was just being honest. He, he didn't know what exactly it meant. But God is going to tell him what it means. And I said, verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here is uh, the second grade I want to notice, the great tribulation. Now, very quickly with me, go back to Matthew chapter 24. In the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. This is not the first time we read about the great tribulation. In uh, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is, is talking about this very thing. He's talking about this time of great wrath. That's going to be poured out in the earth. He, remember he says um, in verse 16. Let them which be in the Judea uh, flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, you know, like Lot. Don't, don't look behind you. What he's talking about is the imminence of, of judgment. It's so imminent and so dangerous that to run, would, uh, to run away would only uh, be the only way of escape. Woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. You see, it's going to be a terrible time. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be, here it is, here it is, great tribulation. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. But watch verse 22. And except those days be shortened. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Somebody says, Brother Jeff, do you believe in the rapture? Well, I don't believe in the rapture. 
I just hope that it's true. I, you know, that's something I, I really would like to happen. Uh, I, I would love to believe and be persuaded from the word of God that God's people are going to be taken out of the world before this uh, wrath comes. But friends, what we're talking about tonight is a great multitude that go through the great tribulation. Who are they? They're the people of God. If they're the people of God, then why weren't they raptured? If the rapture is going to happen. It doesn't make sense, does it? But he says something here. He says, it's going to be, these days are going to be shortened for the elect's sake. Why? Because the, elects, the elect are still here. They're still suffering. They're going through the tribulation. You see what I'm getting at? Now go back to Revelation. Chapter 7, verse 14. Here are these that are going uh, through the, the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes. They, they're, they're, they, this is the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus. This is the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the sanctifying work of God in the lives of His elect. He's going to continue that sanctifying until the very end. In verse 15, therefore are they before the throne of God. Now what he's doing, he's able to see something going on in heaven. Tonight I'm rejoicing in that because I, 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 I rejoice when I think about Jonathan being here. <laughs> His suffering's over, you see. He's before the throne. Sister Betty Joel, same thing. And so many others that come to my mind. My mind just is flooded uh, with the memory of God's people that I've known in my lifetime that are already there. They're, they're before the throne of God. Isn't that good news tonight? They're not floating around in some kind of a ethereal uh, existence. They're, they're not just kind of uh, absent in body, but in soul they're in some kind of a purgatory. No, the Bible says that when the God's people pass from this world, they pass to the next. Hallelujah. Before the very throne of God. I, I'm so thankful to know that. And they serve Him. Listen to what they're doing. They're not just, you know, we think about heaven this way, don't we? We think about, uh, you know, floating around on a cloud, strumming a harp all through the ages. You know, does that sound like heaven to you? That doesn't sound like heaven to me. That sounds like some kind of a Hollywood picture of what heaven is. Uh, to me, heaven is just as real as earth is. And what we get to do is serve him there. Brother Kevin and I will be the head of the, the, the sweeping committee. We'll, we'll be doing something like that. I just know it. I just know it. Well... They're serving Him day and night. Isn't this great? In His temple. And He that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. And I love this, Brother Nathan. In the Greek language, it's tabernacle. It's like a, a tent covering over all of the people of God. Uh, a felt sense of the presence of God day and night. No fear. No doubt. Uh, no sin. It, uh, under the, the sovereign rule of a holy God, day and night, no sickness, 
no separation. And here in verse 16, and they shall hunger no more. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to know that. I'm glad to know that we're not going to hunger anymore. And no thirst anymore. Listen to this, friends. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. We don't have to worry about uh, getting sunburned or skin cancers. Uh, we don't have to worry about that kind of a thing in heaven's pure world. It's a place of, of perfect joy. It's a place of perfect peace. It's a place of perfect communion with God. For the very first time in our own experience, we'll be able to worship God like He deserves to be worshipped. No sin. No frailty. No weakness. Isn't that good news tonight? Now we've talked about the great multitude and we've talked about the great tribulation, but... I want to close tonight's study talking about the great shepherd. Verse 17. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. And that word feed there is poinonia, which is, which is shepherd. I will shepherd them. And shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Now, now I think it'd be pretty nice for him to just tell an angel to wipe them away. But God says, no, I'm going to reserve that for my very self. I'm going to wipe away all the tears you know, there's a lot of things in this world that bring tears to us, isn't it? I'm not just talking about physical pain that might cause us to cry a little bit. I'm talking about spiritual pain. Uh, pain over our own sins. Pain over our own mistakes. Pain that brings tears to our eyes. The loss of loved ones. See, I've been praying especially for Brother Kendall and Sister Debbie. Because I don't know how I would deal with the loss of a child. I, I just don't know if I could stand it. I know I couldn't without God's grace. I can just imagine the tears that they've cried. Because their little boy is gone. But brothers and sisters, as Christian people, as people that love Christ and serve a resurrected Savior, we have the calm assurance that one day we'll get to meet him again. And we're going to meet him again in a different way. There's not going to be a, a suffering body. There's not going to be cancer there. There's, there's not going to be sickness and illness uh, there. There's not going to be any of that there. And all of the tears are going to be wiped away by the hand of a loving father. And, and that loving father gave His only begotten Son so that He would come into the world to suffer the death that we deserve and rise from the grave that we will be able to rise one day. And, and He is the conqueror, you see.
And, and of all of the great titles we can ascribe to Jesus tonight, you know, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we, we, we have so many wonderful titles that we can ascribe to Jesus Christ uniquely alone. But the one that touches my heart the most is when I remember that he's my great shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. He is the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 21, uh, uh, verse 14. He is the chief shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I love that uh, 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 black preacher that said, if uh, because the Lord is uh, my shepherd, if I don't have it, I don't need it. Can you say that tonight? If I don't have something, that means the shepherd says, I don't need it. Now, I want to close with this one thought. I believe that what God is doing, what, what the Lord is doing for John, John's heart is greatly troubled over the, the, the tremendous judgments that are going to fall upon the earth. God pauses. He didn't have to, but he pauses and he says, John, I know it looks really bad, and it's going to get worse, John, but this is what I want you to remember. You're not going to be experiencing those judgments. That wrath is not for you. The wrath of my indignation is only against those who do not believe in Christ, who do not trust him who do not follow his way John you just you just keep keep in mind that in the midst of the great tribulation there's also a great multitude in the midst of the great multitude there's also a great a, a great shepherd and John before you close your eyes in death you remember that I've got everything under control. Everything's not falling apart today, friends. It's falling into place. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention.